Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I sit down with Boyd Dunleavy. Boyd was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia in July of 2011 and was told without a stem cell transplant, he wasn't going to live the year. After nearly a year in and out of the hospital, including his cancer relapsing, February of 2012, he had a life-saving stem cell transplant, May 3rd of 2012. A chemotherapy-induced brain injury and a virus that caused spinal cord trauma during that year left him permanently medically disabled. But miraculously, the stem cell transplant worked. Boyd found out in the spring of 2013 that his stem cell donor was an American Naval serviceman named Nathan, who was in Japan when he saved his life. Seven years later, he was thrilled to finally meet his donor, Nathan, in person. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Boyd. But before I do, just a couple things to mention. First, a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. And second, I want to take a moment to thank the Carl Felt Center who makes the show possible. Hi, Boyd. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I've been really looking forward to talking to you. Me too, Haley. I'm so glad that we connected. Um, it was about two months ago. You randomly joined our, our clubhouse meeting. I'm like, who's this person? <laughs> who's this stranger? I Googled you and I'm like, this lady has an amazing story. And so uh, to not take away too much of my story, Haley really has an amazing, incredible story. And uh, she's become an important part of our community. So I'm just thrilled we met. Well, I am too. And the group is called the Cancer Conquering Community on Clubhouse. Thursdays at noon on the Clubhouse app, 9 a.m. Pacific. Yeah, it's an app called Clubhouse. So you just, you randomly found it. It was amazing. I mean, there was just a, a notification that said Cancer Conquering Community. I'm like, oh, I'm free right now. I'm going to click on it. And I met these amazing people, so I'm really, really grateful. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled that we met you, so thank Well, you. thank you so much. And I just wanted to ask you, what was your life prior to your diagnosis? And then I wanted to hear also, what, what were your symptoms? <laughs> um, so I, I thought that golfing two or three times a month um, as a slightly overweight mortgage broker was busy and chaotic. And I... I thought I was physically active, uh, golfing a couple times a month. We had three kids in six years and, um, 
my wife's pregnancy with our daughter, Abigail, who was born in February, 2011 was difficult and she was hospitalized with some challenges, but, but Abigail was born in February and, um, we had two boys, uh, Steven and then Nathan and then Abigail. And, um, she was born, it was just so much chaos. I mean, Jim Gaffigan, the stand-up comedian says, you know, uh, like having that many kids that quickly is like, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. And so it's just, it's just chaos. And it was constantly tired and run down and, and thought, and, and sorry, I was in the banking industry. I was a, a mortgage broker slash mortgage specialist. Um, it, I'm a Canadian, so it's a similar idea in the U.S. And the housing crisis market in 2008 definitely impacted Canada too. And so it was kind of interesting. I was an independent mortgage broker, but because of all that nonsense that went on, I actually went back to one of the Canadian banks and still doing the same role as an independent commission salesperson. So, I mean, you're working 16, 18 hours a day. It's it's just it doesn't stop. You're tired, and it's all commission and the really interesting part about my symptoms um, is a caveat. I originally grew up in Vancouver and met my wife, Denise, in West Australia, of all places. And we got married and lived in Ontario for, for 20 years. But my loser losing hockey team was the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, my best friend and I, who actually met in Toronto years later, we both grew up in Vancouver and I knew his sister and he knew mine. It's just a completely small world. Um, we, we went to Boston for game three of the Stanley cup finals and like go Canucks go and the Bruins just destroyed the Canucks and ended up beating them. And I joked with my buddy, the only way I'd ever go back to Boston was to run the Boston marathon. And six weeks later, I just thought I was run down and tired. A, a really interesting side note is I went for acupuncture and anybody that's gone through ac for acupuncture, the needle is one one hundredth the density of a normal needle. So that's why you don't bleed. Well, I was bleeding in my legs from this acupuncture. <laughs> and I was having night sweats and nosebleeds and not feeling well. And, and we were actually supposed to go to Chicago as a family. And my wife's like, there's something wrong with you. You should probably go to the doctor. And so it was an after hours walk-in clinic. And the guy misdiagnosed it. He thought I had a virus and, and ordered blood work. And two days later, my family doctor, Dr. Robinson, she calls and she's like, uh, you need to go to hospital. I'm like, we're going to Chicago. She's like, you're not going anywhere. And so that night was a night in the hospital where they just completely, they thought I had like a, this virus, the Norwalk virus from like unclean water. So I mean, just stupid. Anyways, long story short, taken, they're like, no, it's blood cancer. And we're all like, what the stink? And so, I mean, just it just went from bad to worse. I remember... I shouldn't laugh. It's just so horrible. The only way they can determine if you actually have blood cancer, do you know this, is they do a, a bone marrow biopsy through your hip. Did you know that? I, you know what I did? Yeah, they go in with like a screw. That's not a needle. That's a screw. And it hurts. It hurts. Yeah, and the first one that I had actually got infected and I almost died because of the incompetence of some nurse who said it was a rash. She came into the room. She threw, she threw a cream on my body and said, just get on with it. It just... I, I, Oh, I, it, it took me a long time. I've forgiven these people. I even had an opportunity to, to continue to forgive again. But the level of incompetence was just astronomical. And anyways, after should have only taken about a month 
for them to determine what the subcategory of acute myeloid leukemia was, because that's, that's the part that determines the factors with, do you need a transplant? Can you, can you just get through it with chemo or radiation? And, and they came back in September of 2011 and said, oh, you have acute myeloid leukemia 6-9. It's the worst we've ever seen. We've never even seen this before. I have to look this thing up in a journal. And without a transplant, you're not going to live the year. And I looked at him. I said, I got a guy. Like, what do you mean a guy? Got a guy. He's, he was this Greek Canadian kind of standoffish, Dr. X. What do you mean you got a guy? I said, I've got the Lord Jesus. And he's like, what? What do you mean by that? <laughs> and I said, he's my guy. I said, if, if it's my time to go, I'll go. But I believe that God will determine when I go and when I don't go. And so he didn't think that was that great of an idea. But anyways. Um, but it worked for you. Yes. It, <laughs> I got through that part, right? Like, I mean, the cancer relapsed, cancer relapsed. So anyways, um, right. I'm just sharing my testimony. Please don't think that I'm preaching it. Anyway. I'm sharing what happened with me. Anyway, so the community rallied and they did kind of a make a wish thing more for my kids than for me. I mean, the, the make a wish thing is horrible enough if a family member has a child dying of cancer. So, you know, so we went to Disney and it was amazing. And then, and then I had a benevolent friend named Harvey Katz. And I said, Harvey, I want to go to Israel before I die. Mm. And so Harvey, Harvey's actually a Messianic Jew. He's a, a Jewish uh, Christian. And Harvey took me in this, this man named Barry who had MS to Israel. And it was the most incredible trip I've been on. Oh, my goodness. It was, yeah, it was December of 2011. It was 12 days. And I, I saw the whole thing. And the most amazing part for me personally was the fact that there were all these peaceful Arabs there that, that wanted their photo and they wanted to say hi. And, you know, anyways, just interesting time to talk about that right now. But came home, we're like, yay, we're going to beat this. And then, um, oh, yeah, this is the other part. We were referred to an out-of-town hospital because they didn't do unrelated transplants in London, Ontario, where we were living at the time. So we were referred to Princess Margaret Hospital in Toronto, the big one, the best in Canada. They sat on my file for four months and my cancer relapsed. <sighs> and uh, my goodness. I, I I cried for like two or three days. I was so I, I literally felt like I let people down. Mm. I remember I remember talking to Harvey about that. I'm like I just felt like I let the community down. And I'm sitting there and I'm crying. And again, I'm just sharing me. I felt like God just kind of stopped me. So what are you doing? And I'm like I'm dying. I, I remember calling my sister. I'm like I'm not gonna make it. And I felt like God said to me, "Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get up and pray for the man in the bed beside you." And this man, let's pretend his name was Ken, his wife and son and daughter had come in to say their goodbyes to him on the Sunday because he was dying. He had tubes coming out of his stomach. And his sister-in-law, Karen, came in the next day and she's like, in Jesus' name, this man's going to live and not die. I'm like, wow, this was, I said, okay, well, we'll pray for the guy. Anyways, he improved so much that he was sent home for home care on the Friday. And I connected with uh that lady on social media and, and she told me years later the guy was still alive so that was that was an amazing thing yeah. and so yeah right after that the uncontrollable uncontrollable hiccuping and vomiting started for me for eight consecutive days is that due to chemo go go through a year of chemo radiation everything else um i don't remember what triggered it but i was i was hiccuping i had tubes coming out of my thing, uh, my face and like a breathing apparatus. I look like Darth Vader, right? Like just, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to be whatever. I don't remember. I mean, the whole thing's just horrible. I try to block it out, but 
they were so concerned because I couldn't eat anything. And so I, they were like, well, if you can't do that, we're going to give you food through your nose and, and all this stuff. And my wife and my mother-in-law came in, uh, it would have been on Valentine's day and, or the day after. And I remember they prayed for me and two nights later in the middle of the night, I sat up and, and vomited the cancer across the room. I had a, actually had a vision of Jesus uh, being flogged before his crucifixion. And the reference is actually in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, which is by his stripes were healed. And so I vomited the cancer out of my body across the room. And, you know, it's one of those things I could talk a lot of crap, but they did another bone marrow biopsy to see if I was actually in remission. And I had actually taken my son, Stephen out to Vancouver. I didn't even wait around in the hospital to see that. I, that was a, that's a mic drop moment, right? When you know that you've been healed. And, and just the caveat, you have to be in remission to do an unrelated stem cell transplant. That's the whole point. You have to be in remission. You can't be partially in remission. And so I was in Vancouver and I actually had an opportunity to forgive my father, which was a story in itself and was there when they called them like, yep, I knew that. And so, so they called to say you were in remission. Called to say I was in remission. I'm like, yeah. And I was literally in Vancouver. I was in the car with my mom and my son. We're like, yay. And so. So that would have been February. I think maybe they did one more. No, 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 they did two rounds. And then I, I just, I said to them, that's it. We're done with the chemo. And by the way, we're, we're choosing a different hospital. We're choosing princess. We're, we're, we're not going to princess Margaret. They almost killed me. We're choosing the Jervinsky cancer clinic in Hamilton, Ontario. And so my wife found that on the Google talk about, you know, not Googling things. Mm -hmm. um, and, oh, and she also found the nerve inhibitor that I take for the spinal cord trauma because it was the only thing on Google that was helping with the hearing. And the spinal cord trauma. Yeah, that was, no, that was during the transplant. Sorry, that was the, that was the traumatic brain injury. Was the first round of chemotherapy that? that, that <laughs> oh, it's just, I, I'm so, it's just so bizarre to to think back on it. If I, it feels surreal. If I can just be completely honest. And so, anyways. Um, Jurevinsky uh, Cancer Clinic in Hamilton was about an hour and a half from us, and they were world class. The Dr. Irwin Walker, who's one of the men that led the transplant team, was the first man in Canada to do unrelated transplants. So he was the guy, and I had another doctor, Mike Truce, and man, they were they seemed to know better than the hospital that I was going to. And so, so like you said, May third, two thousand twelve, was the stem cell transplant. I had five rounds of chemotherapy and radiation, and I remember. I had this one nurse practitioner, her name was Carrie Cole, and uh, Carrie was a Jewish lady, and she was quite fascinated with the fact that I'd just been to Israel. And I remember just messing around with her. She's like, okay, you got radiation today. I'm like, no, I, I canceled and told them no. And she she went into this panicky freak out thing. <laughs> and she was, she was like eight months pregnant. I remember poking her in the belly, and I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you lose your sense of humor. She's like, what, what are you doing? And, and I just remember just screwing around in the hospital i mean you're fighting for your life and telling people you know it's okay like i mean this one time this this uh what are they they're they're not doctors they're medical students just waiting to get on the elevator and i'm like yeah okay you can come on with us on the elevator with us i work here and meanwhile i was coming from an mri i got like the chemo pole hanging and i look like death i'm like no i'm just kidding you told them you worked there yeah i work here it's okay to come with us right <laughs> anyways uh I, so yeah the stem cell transplant was uh, just horrible. It was horrible. Five rounds of chemo, radiation, it just destroyed my immune system. And then how long were you in the hospital? You couldn't really see many. No, like, like, you know, that's when you're in isolation. That's when you're doing masks. That's when you're, you're social distancing. Like, 
you know, I might have a different opinion than most people did when, when COVID happened a couple of years ago, because I was actually in that particular situation. And so anyways, the transplant kicked in after I think 17 or 18 days. And they're like, yay, you're alive and uh, you can go home. And I went home and they're like, you know, they're doing follow-ups and they're doing all these things. First hundred days are critical, right? People die within the first hundred days. And so the first hundred days, uh, I'm not, oh yeah, it was June of 2012. We're eating spaghetti and this, my, my face goes down. I'm just trying to eat spaghetti. And my wife's like, what the hell's wrong with your face? And she didn't use that word. I'm just out living, but she's like, your face is numb. And spaghetti was like drooling down my face. So we go rushing to the hospital. And uh, that's when I had CMV. And oh yeah, they, they misdiagnosed the spinal cord injury there because they said you have something else and you have a bladder infection. And so they shoved a catheter in me and sent me home, which was horrible. And, and if they had given me the proper steroid, I might not have ever gone through this spinal cord trauma. Oh, really? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So then I was being fitted for a wheelchair and all these other things. And I, Haley, I got a letter in the mail from, from the London Health Sciences Center. How is the service? How is the service? What? Like I filled in their survey and I sent it in. I'm like, I had cancer twice in eight months, brain injury, spinal cord trauma. Are uh, you telling me that I'm going to lose my vision and uh, I might be end up in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. So thank you very much. And this guy called. He's like, that's horrible. I'm like, no offense, sir. I don't know you. You have no authority. I need to hear from somebody that actually whatever. And this gentleman named Dr. Javert called and uh, he was genuinely contrite. He was the head of the ER. I wanted to talk to somebody who was an authority and he apologized. I said, sir. I really, really, really don't feel like doing this, but as a Christian, we're called to forgive and to release emotion. And so I'm choosing to forgive you right now. And I never put two and two together. It was like eight years later that I realized within like a few weeks of that, I got off of all the anti-rejection medication. Like you're on 20 different pills. You're on cyclosporin, you're on actually morphine and oxycotton. Those were hard to get off of. I'll just say that. The cyclosporin, the anti-rejection thing, all, all this stuff, right? Do you have you heard of any of this? It's just horrible. It's horrible, and you're death warmed over. I've heard of some of them. Right, right, right. Like I mean, I don't, I don't need to, whatever. But you, you, you know, the I think for the cyclosporin to work, it, it was like the size of a like a horse's tooth, and you had to drink it with chocolate milk so that you didn't throw up. And then like this that summer in the one movie. Like maybe it was Men in Black or one of those movies. The the hero had to drink chocolate milk. To, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's me. And mm. So yeah, that was that was my experience. And and like that was just a, a year of, of absolute hell. That's what I've heard. So like, like at this point, I usually gloss over that and just kind of keep going. But did you have any questions or comments or anything you wanted to ask about? Well, I was just wondering. I mean, when you told him that okay this went really bad and did they i mean they said they're sorry and you had to forgive is that you wanted to forgive well i mean what, what could they what could they do what could they do to improve things this is the canadian healthcare system it's horrible it's not like it's that much better 12 years later it's horrible i feel the same here it's getting better than it was in 1998 when i went but it yeah yeah, yeah. i thought 2012 was, was old school but you're like you're like old school in the 90s <laughs> Right. It's a miracle you're alive, right? Yeah. I mean, there it's just tough for me sometimes. And I know you feel the same. There hasn't been that many changes. Right. You know, I mean, there's been some, no doubt. Right. Just even with the hospital food and what they give their people. Oh, hospital. It's just disgusting. Just absolutely disgusting. And, you know, 
one of the things that the, the nutritionist from the hospital said was don't eat blueberries. We're trying to suppress your immune system. So you can't eat healthy. Oh my goodness. Or, or during the transplant, I would argue with them. I want yogurt. They're like, you can't, like I had no immune system for the first hundred days Right? you get hundred days are crucial. Uh, six months was crucial. One year was crucial, but no, what do you not understand? There's, they're like, cause has bacteria. There's a different, and I'm like, there's a difference between good bacteria and bad bacteria. And please don't get me wrong. I was not, I was not a healthy person or, or somebody that was interested in it. I mean, I, I like McDonald's and I had KFC and you know, like, so, so please don't think that I, I would qualify as, as like a health nut at that point. But I remember uh, my, my whole philosophy on health as a side note, and we'll come to that is you can either suffer now or you suffer later. So that's why I choose to suffer with my health by staying physically active and, and, and doing the things that I do to stay physically active. But anyways. Really, I was going to ask you that. Like, you know, what changes did you make because of all this? Well, okay, so so I'm working out and I'm doing this cancer support thing called Wellspring at the local YMCA. And this friend that I knew, he came in, he's like, hey, I'm thinking of running a marathon in Alaska with team and training with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Can you be my, like, whatever? I said, yeah. I'll, I said, two conditions. One, I come with you. And two, I'll help you fundraise. So we raised like $10,000 and we went to Alaska. It took my oldest son, Stephen and I, and him and his son. And he ran a marathon for me. The Mayor's Marathon in Anchorage, Alaska it changed my life. I bought a pair of shoes when I got home and started running. Mm, incredible. It was incredible. And I just bought a pair of shoes and started running. And, and I went back to Hamilton, Ontario in 2014 and did this around the Bay road race, this 30 kilometer road race that was 30 kilometers is longer than a half marathon. It's about 18 and a half miles. Half marathon is 13 miles. A marathon is 42 kilometers or 26 miles. And it started running. It had 5Ks, 10Ks. And anyways, the first couple of years were just horrible, really suffered with mental health. And, you know, again, things that I tolerated years ago, I just don't tolerate anymore. I mean, questioning why I don't work. I don't work because I have a brain injury and I can't think clearly anymore. And so running really was a was an emotional uh healing process for me but also we went to disney and then we went to disney in 2012 and 13 and my wife's like you know what you're being kind of crazy the disney marathon opened up why don't you go run the disney marathon <laughs> so i'm like i'm like i'll go run the disney marathon were you because of the trauma was there emotionally you were oh it was just unwell yeah Okay. You know, uh, my sister came and visited us with her husband and kids. And I just remember her patting me on the belly, like, Hey, you're fat. I'm like, thanks for that. There's, there's no support with that. That's useless. I mean, think about it. I mean, you're removed from chemotherapy treatment and, and just, just stupid comments that people would make. I'm, I'm not, I'm not somebody that's, that's confrontational. In fact, I did the Myers Briggs test last night Yeah. and I'm still a people pleaser. Really? Yeah, but I'm a people pleaser that doesn't give a fart anymore because if I don't shut things down quickly, it just becomes a problem. I'm sure you've had to become a bit of a hard butt person too because you just, you can't, you can't. You need to set boundaries. Yeah, boundaries, right? Like this Christian book came out called Boundaries and then this other book came out called The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F-U-C-K and it was the same idea. You just gotta, hey, I can't do that because it's robbing me of my joy and time and all this stuff. But, you know, my, my favorite quote 
of all my favorite quotes. I've got lots of favorite quotes, but Winston Churchill had this thing and he said, success in life is when you go from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I didn't have was a lack of enthusiasm. Learning how to run is hard. Learning how to run with disabilities is even harder. But I called up Disney and I'm like, hey, I'm a blood cancer survivor. I'm coming to run the marathon. I'll be my first marathon. Now, again, this is in 2015. So this is like, this is the seven years I'm waiting to meet Nathan, just a caveat. The seven years I'm waiting to meet Nathan, I wasn't sitting on my butt. I learned how to run. And so they're like, would you share your story? So I got to share on, on stage before like 20,000 people. This was the best part. This is before the half marathon. Remember how I said I would never go back to Boston without running the marathon? Yes. Yeah. So I ran my first marathon and it was, it was hard. It was at Disney. It was very emotional. Um, a friend named Walter from London, Ontario actually happened to be there. And we we're at the same hotel, which was wild too, because Disney has like 30 hotels and we're at the same hotel. And so he guided me for the marathon and he's like, boy, you're a marathoner. I'm like blubbering and con- crying uncontrollably. And, and I remember that too. It was like January 11th of 2015 uh and i just posted it was i am a marathoner cancer did not win thank you jesus something like that and that 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 trended well though i've had particular moments where my story was like trending and running your first marathon at disney a lot of people really liked it and uh and you must have started i mean you you started off slow, right? I mean, it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to run. I, I was fat and out of shape. I was, I, was a, I was a crappy runner for three years. But you did it. I mean, it's so inspiring. What a, what, do, you, do you know the Walt Disney thing? The difference between winning and losing is not quitting? You know that one? Yes. Yes. Love it. Oh, just not quitting and not quitting. And there were so many people that I ran with that they would just quit. They'd try it for six months and they quit. And, and so I just kept going and kept going. And, and I'm like, the only marathon that I would get up for if I'm going to run a second marathon, it's to run the Boston Marathon. I mean, that's just a, this is a silly comment. But um, I called up the Boston Athletic Association, and unlike Disney, they weren't like, welcome, come on down. It took eight months. Eight months of advocacy and determination and getting a proper, it was actually, I got a better understanding of what the heck was going on with my body because I didn't realize I had a brain injury and spinal cord trauma at the same time. And what, what does that look like for you? What does it look like? I'm not going to stand up and walk around. It looks ridiculous. But um, ataxia is the medical definition, which means you have difficulty ambulating. Ambulating means walking from A to B. So that's that's another thing that's a lot of fun is I have a permanent person's disabled parking pass. Right. And the guy runs marathons. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the neuropathy has definitely gotten better. I mean, I've lost about 30 pounds. I'm an overnight success that took 10 years. <laughs> right. Right. People, people want overnight. It doesn't happen. That doesn't happen overnight. So I've done the work. I've, I've lost about 30 pounds learning how to, to do the balancing. It kind of, my balance is kind of like a unicycle. It works when it's moving. If you're on a unicycle and you stop, you fall over, right? So right. that's a good example of, of what that looks like. And so long story short, I was approved to run Boston in 2016 under their Athletes with Disabilities program. And the year before I met this guy randomly on the bus going to Disney, his name was Michael Johnson. I'm like, you look like a runner. And I grabbed his phone and said, let's be friends on Facebook. And he thought, who is this idiot? <laughs> and, and the part that offended him most, I said to him, watch for me tomorrow before the half marathon. And he's like, this guy's an idiot. There's gonna be 20,000 people at the half marathon. Who's this guy? And then he literally saw me walk out on stage and share my story. So it was like a where's Waldo moment. 
And so I chose Mike to guide me at Boston. He was an American from New York um, because he missed qualifying for Boston by one second. So he was desperate to go. And do you not think that we didn't mention and bring up the fact that Mike should never talk to strangers? We we mercifully, unmercifully teased him for close to two years. (laughs) How he randomly met me on a bus at Disney. It wasn't even to go to the race. It was just to go to the parks. And so just some random idiot. Um, the first year I went to Boston too, I brought four Americans with me. I was kind of tired of, well, I mean, where I was in Canada, people were just negative and you know, we're never going to Boston and all this other stuff. I didn't need that. I needed people who were kind of gung-ho, people from Texas and, you know, we're doing this, we're doing this. And so called up the Red Sox. Uh, I got to meet the coach of the Red Sox that year and was talking to the Blue Jays were there, which is really cool. Canada has one baseball team, by the way, that's not very good anymore. But, but anyways, I, the, the Jays were there, and I got to meet the announcer for the Blue Jays. And it was it was super cool. People were texting saying they're talking about you on the radio. Back in Canada, the Jays were playing the Red Sox. And and so anyways, it was kind of one of those things. I ran the Boston Marathon. I took 25 minutes off my Disney Marathon time. It was, it was a one-and-done thing, sort of. And it was very emotional. I was like... 11th place athlete with disabilities it was an amazing moment and uh i kept running i was in flint michigan in the summer of 2016 and i met bill rogers who had won the boston marathon four times he's like boy do you have an amazing story and my wife's like you guys actually had fun and you should go back to boston hmm. and so dot 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 this is this was so cool so 2017 not only was it my second Boston Marathon, it was my third marathon. And more importantly, the biggest thing for anybody in the cancer community is a five-year marker, right? Right. Right. So April 17th was the five-year anniversary of my stem cell transplant, which was May 3rd of 2012. Mm. So Catherine Switzer, the first woman to run the Boston Marathon, reached out to me. She wanted to meet. And I'm like, yes, I can do that. But you know, it's another another one of those things. Like just because she said it on Facebook, it didn't. I had to light a call and I did whatever. It just it came together. We met in a private media room. It was so cool. And there's all these people that I met. And I'm like, this is gonna be amazing. I have I've literally met like 50 different people at Boston. I'm like, hey, your boy, you know, like you remember Rick and Dick Hoyt, the dad and the son in the wheelchair? Yes, you know the story, right? Yeah. Yeah, they I met them several times. I'm like, yep. Yeah. Yeah, boy, we know you. Sadly, they both passed away, but I love those guys. Like, they knew me, and they, they knew my story. That's amazing. 2017, let me tell you, people were freaking out because I was on television because I was in the Athletes with Disabilities wave again, right? And I took 25 minutes off my marathon time. I had a 25-minute personal best up Boston. I was the third-place athlete with disabilities and the top Canadian in that field. And I finished jumping around, and I was – I was like singing victory in Jesus at the top of my lungs and yelling and whipping and hollering. And, and people are like, what are you doing here? Like, because there's different waves of athletes that have different colored bibs, right? The elites have their name on it. Then the second, first wave is the red bibs. And the second wave, I don't know, it's red, blue, white, and then yellow is at the back. And, and for some bizarre reason, uh, they had the athletes with disability to start the marathon an hour ahead of the elites. And so we were like halfway through the marathon when the elites blew past us and it was around mile 20. So you're six miles from the finish line that all the red bibs came through about 10,000 of them just passed us. It was, but, but all these people like, what the heck is a guy in a yellow bib doing all the way up here? And so finished singing victory in Jesus. And the most important thing with that moment is I actually beat the 
one particular individual that said I would never run Boston. I beat them by a minute that day. Really? That had to be so gratifying. And so that was, that was a huge confidence booster. And why would he say that to you? Well, Haley, something that I've learned that you and I talked about off mic is running people are either amazing or, or complete jealous fools. Jealous, jealous, jealous. Do you think that everybody celebrated the fact that I got into Boston under their athletes with disabilities program? Oh, heck no. Hmm. They'll never go to Boston. Blah, 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 blah. And you know, that's where you have to like just advocate for yourself and stand up and say, like, last time I checked, you're not on the decision committee about who runs the Boston Marathon. They are. Maybe mind your own business or worry about you. Yeah, mind your own business, right? And so, you know, between people criticizing me for being on a disability or running or whatever, or well, you run marathons, you should be able to work. Yeah, sorry that you can't see a brain injury. So, anyways, you know, and again, guys like that, they're just not worth it. They're just, they're just, stupid and foolish and again like you said it's about forgiveness right yeah yeah well it was really interesting it took me like another year to forgive that particular individual i'd beaten them at boston and a friend said you need to forgive them i i, I like to hold on to grudges apparently well it's it's a human thing it's tough. i like to stew it i like to stew in my resentment but it's toxic and it kills you right right that's what at least you're aware of that right yeah 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 so so it's actually the anniversary of chicago uh so i ran chicago in october of 2017 and that was my fastest marathon i took another 20 minutes off so that was another thing i ran like a four-hour marathon which for the best is not that great but when you your first marathon is five hours and you take five hours and 12 minutes you take it down to four hours and you take 20 minutes off your boston marathon time mm. and you finish and you actually i dropped both my guides on the course they couldn't keep up and I finished and I had to go into the first thing. They were like, wow. That just felt so good. People were in shock. People were shocked. Like, yeah. like, and you got cancer. I'm like, yeah, and I got cancer. You're showing people that no matter what you go through, you can do anything you set your mind to. Running is hard. Just try walking. I'm not, I'm not advocating for running. Running is difficult. <laughs> the tumor is only a symptom of cancer, not the cause. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Carlfeld. I'm the owner of the Carlfeld Center in Meridian, Idaho. We specialize in cutting-edge integrative oncology care, addressing the cause and not just the symptom of cancer. There are 11 factors you need to address when diagnosed with cancer. To learn more of what they are, get my free ebook when you visit thecarlfeldcenter.com. Along with the ebook, I will email you a free webinar series where world-renowned specialists will tell you what you need to do to address these 11 factors. You'll hear from experts like Jane McLellan, Dr. Paul Anderson, Dr. Neil McKinney, Dr. William Lee, Dr. Nasha Winters, and Dr. Isaac Elias. Don't miss out on this life-saving information. I also offer a free 15-minute cancer consult where we can go over where you are at in your cancer journey and how the cutting-edge therapies we offer can benefit you. Give the Carful Center call at 208-338-8902 or visit our website at thecarfulcenter.com. I went back and did the Disney marathon a second time in January of 2018 and uh, took a, about an hour off my marathon time. And I'd actually done this goofy challenge where you do a half marathon and a marathon the next day. And so that was, that was really, that was wild. I was like, oh, okay, we'll do that. And then training for my third Boston, uh, two things happened. One, I wasn't all that serious about nutrition. And two, I wasn't all that serious about stretching and doing all those other things. So I had, I've only had two, only had two, 
I've had two foot injuries running and plantar fasciitis is a running, which is just horrible. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. It takes you out for like six weeks and it just takes forever to heal. And so going into the 2018 Boston Marathon, I was undertrained, overwhelmed, and not prepared. And the Boston Marathon in 2018 was the worst weather they'd seen in 30 years. Do you remember this or not really? Oh, not really. There's like a 50 mile an hour headwind. Like the, you're running east. You're running from Hoppington towards Boston. And the, 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 the storm's coming off the coast. It was, it, was, it was a torrential rain. Like we're leaning forward the whole time. We had two different elite women collapse with me and my guide where we had to like pick them up under the armpits and get them to first aid because they're wearing their little singlets and the, you know, the girls wear their little outfits, sort of the men. But so even though that one wasn't as fast as the other years because of the weather, some people thought, well, that's, that was like the hardest thing you've ever accomplished. I mean, that wasn't the hardest thing I've ever accomplished. It's not like I had blood cancer twice. So all this time, are you looking for your donor? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we connected on Facebook in 2013. 2013? Yep. We're like, okay, we're going to meet. And I was like, well, all right, what are we going to meet? And then he was in Sasamo, Japan, and then he was deployed to San Diego. And like every, every time I'm like, let's do the thing. Like, turns out that uh, when you're in the military, you're actually working. Yes, <laughs> that's for sure. Right, yeah. So he was working and he kept getting deployed. I'm like, this has got to happen. But again, we were, we were living our best lives. Like, we did seven trips to Disney in seven years. We did around seven marathons, including two at Disney. Like, we weren't sitting around waiting to meet him. We were like, this has got to happen. When is this going to happen? And how old is he? Or was he? He was 24. I was 37. But you saw the video, right? You saw the video. I did. I did. It's, it's, it's like an emotional tearjerker where people cry their eyes out. But but I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes. Yes. So the ship that he was on was deployed to Jacksonville, Florida in late 2018. I'm like, okay, we've got to make this work. we got to do this. And so, again, uh, I'm a visionary and I'm a dreamer. I've, had, I've literally had Americans pay money multiple times to watch me run marathons. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. The very, the very patriotic, right? I have the DNA of an American serviceman. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, bring, I bring my entourage. I bring my entourage. I bring my crew. You're definitely a good connector. Like that's like a superpower. Right, right, right. So I called up Ron Disney, and I had some connections again because of the whole athletes with disabilities thing, and and I connected with this guy named Stephen because. They were going to have my guide in a wave, two waves behind me, which is so stupid. The waves stop, start every 15 minutes. So I would have been 30 minutes. I'm like, think. But anyways, you know, you just give grace. And so I called him up. I'm like, hey, I'm I haven't met, I've never met my donor. This is my donor. So they connected me with some of the media people. Disney does media pretty well. <laughs> and I really thought my wife was going to shut that down. She, she hates all of this stuff. She's, uh, you know, that saying there ain't no party like an introvert party because the introvert party didn't start. Yes. Yeah, that's her. So, so you're total opposites, right? I really thought she was going to do it, but then she's like, yeah, just do it. So like even, even in the video, she's not on camera. She's only been on camera. So I call, I had a, I had a media relations person. What was her name? Emily. And uh, she was the go-to person. And so we connected with Disney and the Disney people and we set the whole thing up. Disney set it all up. Uh, that would have been November of 2019. We meet at Animal Kingdom. People cry. And how do you feel knowing that you were going to meet him? Like, were you anxious? Were you just excited? 
when you were sharing my story and when you started talking about Nathan, then I had to fight back tears. Mm. I still, he's my hero, man. Yeah. Yeah. I have his DNA. So pretty cool. It's super cool. And you know, not, not taking it for granted. And you know, every single person that, that tried to come against what I was trying to do, I'm like, you don't get what I'm doing. Get out of my face. This is, this is a bigger story than me. This is a bigger story than, than whatever it's, it's to give people hope. Mm. And, uh, so yeah, we met and it was a big thing. And then I ran the, the Disney wine and dine half marathon and, and I had a media crew and they were doing the whole filming thing. And, um, he gave me my medal at the end of the half marathon and they're like, here's it. Here's it. And here comes boy Dunleavy and his stepchild donor and girls, naval serviceman, Timothy Burns. And like people, everybody was in tears. Oh, I'm sure. Now I want to ask you, was Nathan in tears when he first met you? Nah, he's strong. I, I wasn't, I didn't cry when I met him. I was just like, oh, let's not mess this up. <laughs> and do you still keep in touch to this day? All the time. Oh, uh, just one last question. Anything you want to leave for the audience before we get into random round? Any good piece of advice for the listeners? So, one, just get away from the negative people. They're, they're just not worth it. They, they, they're exhausting and they, they take energy out of you. You know, my, my, my pastor said to me years ago, stop explaining yourself to people. You do too much of that. So that's the one thing. But two, suffering last means take your health seriously. Like, you know, I don't, I don't like how I feel when I eat unhealthy. And so it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. I mean, I've been, I've been cancer free for oh something like four thousand two hundred and fifty days, something like that, which is wild. It's like twelve plus years, right? And so when you're cancer free, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna sit around because I've met people that that have had cancer and, and they don't want to take their health seriously or they, they want to argue about not drinking pop. I'm like, I've I've done that. It's just it's hard on me. Yeah. And so I instead I I don't preach at people, I just do my own thing. Right. And that's why this is so important, just sharing your story and giving people hope. So let's get into random round, but they're just quick, quick answers. Okay. Yes. So fill in the blank. Freedom to you is. Oh, gosh. Just being free to be yourself and, and not not being concerned with what other people think. It's that takes a long time to learn that one. Oh, yeah. The last show you binged and loved. Oh, I love The Mentalist. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? Pray, go for a run. I really, I have a bit of a weird personality type that I don't really get that afraid. I get more angry or kind of aggressive. There's whatever. But anyways, prayer, running, laughing, finding somebody to encourage. If you could have a one-hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? Winston Churchill. He He was blamed for the failure of the Boer War. He was, he was a failed politician for 40 years before he came to power as the Prime Minister of England. He wasn't the Conservative Party's choice to become the leader of Britain. They thought it should have been somebody else. He was a failure and a failure and a failure until he wasn't. Yes. And like he said, success in life is when you go from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. So true. Love that. What is your favorite go-to snack? 
bananas and and peanuts with a bit of chocolate on it. But. What is one simple thing that brings you joy? Music and laughter. What is on your nightstand? Uh, well, the interesting thing is that is we have coasters from different trips that we've done. Like we were in Berlin last year, around the Berlin Marathon last fall. Um, of course, two or three from Disney because Disney's our kind of world. <laughs> and um, yeah, what is on my nightstand? Nothing because we had company yesterday. My wife cleared it off. So, and 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 different different aches and pain things for for running and muscle relaxants and things like that. So, got it. What is one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? Just being alive. Mm -hmm. Like 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 walking away from a car wreck in April. That was so shocking. One of the police officers actually hugged me. He said we thought we were going to walk up on a corpse. Uh, he hugged me. He's a young guy. You are meant to be here, that's for sure. Something like that or just completely determined. <laughs> that helps too, right? Right. And, and last, uh, I'm going to put in the show notes, but where can people find you if they want to learn more? Just Google Boyd Dunleavy at Disney. Um, that's where I meet met Nathan. My Instagram is from blood cancer to Boston. And I also have a Facebook page with that or just Google Boyd Dunleavy. Great. You know, I really, I spend the majority of my time now just helping people in the cancer community. And like what we talked about earlier, the cancer conquering community, we do a, a free thing every Thursday for people to help encourage them. So beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on. And I know people are going to be inspired. So thank you so much, Boyd. Thank you, Haley. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.